Can't hang her on 2SER 107.3 FM and happy Mardi Gras. We'd Woo! like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Urination, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your guest host, Peter Holden. I'm filling in for the amazing Fee Lamb. And this week, I'm joined by... Hello, I am Coach Kiwi coming to you from Wurundjeri land of the Eastern Kulin Nation. Hello everyone, Tracy Kick here coming to you from Darul country. And I think we're minus an Emma tonight. Indeed, I wonder why. Well, perhaps in this week's show, in our Round 9 podcast for AFLW Season 6, we are talking about who won the uh, unofficially named Phillips Kick Cup. We also look at breaking barriers... We'll also talk about slow starts and Mardi Gras. But first, let's jump into breaking barriers. Coach Kiwi, Tracy Kick, the Melbourne Demons have done it. The first barrier we talk about being broken, they've passed the 100-point mark the first time in AFLW history. Yeah, now look, I'm sure they're going to want to be celebrating a lot about that game. And let's face it, they played some out-and-out clean football and some of that potentially is due to finally playing in a, on a piece of grass that has a wind barrier from all sides of the field. Because we all know Melbourne play at Casey Fields, which is absolutely windy. If they're not there, they're probably at Vic Park, which has a end-to-end wind. Trevor Barker Oval, wind. Everywhere has wind, right? But I think what Melbourne Demons did was they showed everybody that this is how you can play football when we aren't forced to play with a lighter football against nature's worst. Um, having said that, Frio were, I'm pretty sure, without 10 of their players. So a big chunk due to COVID, a few with um, injuries, and even right up to hours before the game, they called one young player who lived three hours away who's played nine hours games of Aussie rules in her lifetime they called her in to um put on the Frio jumper and have a go and in fairness to her she 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 gave it a great crack so um probably not the Frio team that anyone would have tipped and may not have been happy with the Frio team that lined up after they tipped them but um I think it just showed that Frio's depth is probably not too strong but I think any team that loses 10 players is going to be pretty hard to have a lot of depth after that and um, credit to Melbourne. They were just phenomenal. They were just clean, clean football. And um, I I was kind of hoping for Daisy to get seven or more. Just, you know, let's just continually break more records. Um, but I think Taylor now is out on her own top of the goal scoring list. And she broke the current or what was the current record for uh, most goals in a game, in a season for AFW. So Tracy Kick for, for Taylor Harris, um, she's now averaging two goals a game, uh, most of anybody in the league. Uh, she is sitting at 18 goals. Um, you, you want to talk about that as well, that the rejuvenation of Taylor Harris. Absolutely. And just we've talked about this before, I'm sure, but the difference that you can see in players when they get into a club culture where it works for them, and I'm not saying that, you know, it's not about the whole club culture, but obviously the environment that Taylor's in is really working for her. And um, it's just great to see her um, kicking goals and, um, you know, working with the naysayers, you know, putting them back to back in their 
back in their box, so to speak. Um, so it'll be exciting to see what she can do. Yes, I'm the naysayer and I'm just trying to find this comfy little space in the box that I can claim back into. <laughs> um, but, but you talk about club culture and, and that also brings up another uh, uh, barrier that we've broken. That is the 50-game barrier in the AFLW. Uh, players staying loyal to their side at the Brisbane Lions and the Adelaide Crows. Absolutely. So Emily Bates and Ali Anderson, um, two players I've been watching for a long time, obviously, um, clocked up their 50th and, of course, Ebony Marinoff and um, good on them. They've stayed fit and healthy and managed to to play through, uh, I think, every game in the AFLW. Um, so amazing. And, you know, on the back of the season, Bates has had, uh, it'll be interesting what sort of contender she'll be for uh, the best and fairest, I think. To Coach Kiwi, you've watched these footballers, Bates versus uh, Marinoff in particular, who is the best 50-gamer between those two? Even though probably Ellie Anderson's shouting in the background, how about me? Oh, now that's a tough one. You'd probably have to um, go through a, a few different categories and see who ended up with the most ticks because um, I all think they actually contribute in different ways. And um, and I know you were comparing Emily Bates and Ebony Marinoff, but I'd probably stick Ellie Anderson above that. I just think she's just got a little bit more versatility, a little bit more speed around the middle. Um, and you can flicker at either end. I kind of, I kind of really like the way Ellie Anderson plays, um, but you know that's not saying I don't love Batesy and Marinoff. You know they're they're absolute characters of the game, especially Ebony Marinoff. I think we've actually it's kind of like um, Home and Away when we watched um, who was it the one that grew up in the show. Um, Oh, yeah, I haven't watched it, but I know who you mean. Um, Kate Ritchie. Yeah, but her character, yes. So when Kate Ritchie grew up, it feels like we've kind of watched Ebony Marinoff grow up home and away style. Like she was this absolute youngster when she got drafted and, you know, full of larrikinism when when they won that first premiership and all the stuff she did around the cup and um, and around, I guess, idolising Erin Phillips and stuff. And over the years, she seems to have just grown and just become such a, a solid leader um, at that club and she's still pretty young you know so um, I feel like we've watched her grow up a little bit Kate Ritchie style but um, yeah all three of them just absolute hats off and hats off to being able to keep their bodies in good condition to come back and not miss any games that's that's something really incredible at this level as well especially being in and under and you know in, in pretty much every game you know they're real contested ball winners um, so yeah, fantastic achievement, and um, it's a shame there's only been 50 games in the last six seasons, but uh, that's uh, another story. Well, since you mentioned home and away, uh, Coach Kiwi, we might bring in that famous line of Stone the Bloom and Crows from one Al in there and, and talk about the Crows versus Collingwood game. Um, uh, it concerns on, on two points. A, um, the Adelaide Crows just getting over the line against a injured, repeated Collingwood. And, and Tracy Kick, everyone had hardened mouths for Erica Fowler, who we know has had concussion problems. But as Sam Lane confirmed, in this occasion, it's uh, it's then it's her neck that they're neck, worried about. Neck injury. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah, she was taken off to hospital, as I understand. I think it was at halftime. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a real concern. And hopefully she's going to do okay. Um, but um, the game itself was interesting because Adelaide got off to a flying start. Collingwood didn't kick any anything in the first quarter. But they absolutely um, 
applied the pressure um, and came home like a train. So I think without Britt Benici and, um, you know, they, they really, really, you know, went to the task of shutting Adelaide down and trying to get some ball movement. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a good game. I thought it was going to be a whitewash at the, at the start. Yeah, I think um, geez, O'Sheilers did good, um, channeling home and away again. But um, you've got to, yeah, t- like Collingwood, as you said, Trace, really came back into that game. And without, a you know, what Benici brings and Bree Davey is something on another level. And so they're without that. Whereas we've seen before Adelaide, when you take Chelsea out, when you take Aaron out, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, sketchiness around some of some of their performances over the years. And they're developing, you know, some young players now and they've got strength throughout. But I think what Collingwood showed today is, you know, with the young Eliza James, they're ready for the next young stars to step up and fill the spots and still contribute on the field. And um, I thought EJ was just fantastic today. You know, she was she was great when she was in the Metro team last year and just shown um, when she was at Oakley Chargers and now just stepping out um, at this level. I, I think, you know, she's, she's just a player for the future. Um, at that age and what she can bring, and you know, it, it was it was a, it was sad to see Ricky leave, and um, and we know Ricky's a paramedic, so she would know if something's not right, and she was looking really uncomfortable straight away, so she would have a fair idea of what's needed and how to. I was, as a cutting off, I was thinking, well, she would know exactly how she has to put her hands and her feet and not move and all those things, you know, they wouldn't have to tell her, but. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's sad to see, and um, you know, you just kind of think these are the players that you, they've got to come back and, and go to their day job to pay the rent to feed themselves. And um, you know, hopefully, this is something that the next CBA will change and sort of admit that we've got to pay these women more. We can't expect them to work, and probably for her, she's working a 40, 50 hour shift as well as her football career. So, yeah, she'd be doing like four 12-hour shifts or something. But um, the other thing I've, I've noticed over the few games and I mean, we know the we know that the pressure of um, keeping the ball inside 50 is so important. But in that game, Collingwood um, had tack- 13 tackles in their forward 50 compared to two for Adelaide. Um, so it just shows the hard work that they were doing to keep the ball forward and give themselves a chance to get scoring. So it was um, it was a good game. Can we mention the commentators? Now, Aaron Phillips is an out-and-out athlete and legend in Australia sport. She's represented Australia at a whole other code, been to the Olympics, and then we've got a guy on the panel, and I'm not, you know, putting down any of his 407 games um, at all, but the other guy, was it Jason, I think, saying, oh, here he is, you know, (laughs) Aaron Phillips is the... Um, what is it, Bro- sister-in-law of this guy, Sean. And Sean himself, credit to him, said, well, actually, I really feel like I'm the brother-in-law of Erin. <laughs> so he understands her status in the sporting world of Australia's elite. Um, but then leave it at that. They just kind of went on and on and on. And it's like, do they not know the players well enough to talk about other players or other parts of the game? Do we have to keep going over I've got same. another. I've got another gripe on commentators. Oh, oh, oh. Lucy McAvoy in the Carlton, in the Carlton game. Man, you know she almost sniggered when Sarah Perkins missed her shot in front of goal. It was so obvious, and I'm just like, 
why are we getting players of the team that are playing commentating? Anyway, we could go I feel, on I feel awkward sometimes. Well, when you're we... not commentators like yourself, Peter. That's what we need, more <laughs> commentators like yourself. I feel awkward when we sometimes get coaches or players on and then they start to discuss the tactics of a team without actually knowing what is that team talking about in that game, in that week, what are their preppers, and then they're commentating and saying, oh, what would I do in this situation, you know, how do your team play against that? Do they really want to share that information from what their team t- does it get seem like? It's just some of it comes across awkward. So I guess this is the risk we have from getting current players mm-hmm. and coaches in. And, you know, all credit for giving them extra jobs off the field for sure. But we've got enough retired players now. Maybe let's just talk to those ones. Well, yeah, I, I hope so. I should mention that um, the, the commentator in Adelaide wasn't Jason Bennett. It was Mark Soderstrom. That, um, oh, that made, so he does the radio with Aaron in the morning. Of course. So, I mean, that's the, that's the problem. Yeah, and, yeah and, so Burgoyne, you know, I mean, <laughs> so I think you've got, yeah, you've got a biased commentary. Well, well, exactly. No I mean, if people, explain some if, of it. Sorry. If, if people were complaining anything about online, it was the biased Adelaide commentary with Mark Soderstrom alongside Burgoyne and Abby Holmes, who always seems to do Adelaide games. Um, we're in the uh, commentary box, and uh, people surely uh, noted that. But uh, as you mentioned about current players uh, going in the broadcast box, I agree because they hold back. They can only say so much without giving so much away, as opposed to a past player or past coach who can just call it as it is, as it happens. If, if there's criticism, there's criticism. If there's praise, there's praise that needs to be handed out. But then again, all I can say is I just remember from someone from AFL Victoria in 2014 when I talked about using previous players, they go, we don't want the old guard. Well, I have to say last week was awkward hearing Harford commentate the Saints-Giants game when they were talking about how challenging it is for those teams down at the bottom and, you know, how poor performing they're doing. And from him, from him. (laughs) Well, can we ask the the question, and this is what I'm surprised by, in the past, uh, prior to coaching St Kilda AFLW, Peter Searle was used on broadcast and obviously she's officially without a head coach position at the moment. It's like, I'm surprised no one's picked up the phone or I don't know if they actually have and she's knocked it back, but I, I thought Peter Sir would be the perfect person to put back into the commentary box who could call it as it is. Yeah, yeah or there'd even be a number of, there'd be a number of people who would, would be great assets, you know, and I think to your point, Kiwi, I think it's great that there are some opportunities, especially if it's about, you know, a financial um reward and but you know there's a you know a, a commentary like coaching is its own skill it's not the same as being a player or a coach it's it's actually its own skill set and you know this is the thing we think that anyone who plays football can pretty much do anything um so you know i think we'd it'd be great uh, you know i hope to see some more opportunities for young journos retired players and coaches and old journos to be calling the games. You know, I think we, we need to get the balance the balance between that so that we have those special comments which have insight into the game, but we have the professionalism and the, and the independence of people who are calling the game from, um, from the players and the coaches. Like someone like Shiloh Curtis, she almost talks nonstop in her games, but she has a really good clear analysis without – 
um, any bias towards any teams or and she hasn't played at this level. She's got an overall view of the game. I reckon, and if you ever hear someone like Penny Calorie talk or even Cecilia McIntosh, get those guys in. They've played FW, but they speak really well and have a great insight as well as a really good analysis in the way that they read the game. Like, Let's hear those people and, and then they're going to be more open because they're not particularly attached especially right now, not attached to any FLW team. So, you know, there's opportunities for more, I think. Let's touch on something Tracy was talking a little bit about earlier when we mentioned about the Crows and Pies game, and that's slow starts. So, Tracy, your, your chance now to call it like it is. Slow starts with some sides, one particularly with three letters. Yeah, look, it struck me today. <laughs> three letters. Oh, yeah, okay. It struck me today. That, um, that there are a bunch of teams, and I think this has been something we've seen over the season, but I think it was just really apparent this weekend, and I think the the one studying three letters might be GWS, um, but is that the only one studying with three letters? You're testing me, Peter. Um, but um, the Richmond-GWS game, Richmond shot out to a 4-2-26 lead to, to Donuts in the first quarter. Um, and I thought, oh, God, this is going to be a whitewash. Um, and, um, you yeah, know, to their credit, using the only weapon, really, that they have, Cora Staunton, they came back after she kicked three goals. No, but, I mean, you've got to give a shout-out to Biso, who had 31 touches in that game. She was monumental. It's great to have her back. Uh, Bet Privatelli was back with a vengeance after sitting out for two rounds. But, yeah, this slow start, um, I observed it. Do, do we want to talk Giants or do we want to talk about the other slow starts? Should we stay on the Giants for a while? Oh, I'd, I'd say we don't discriminate. Every side that's got a slow start deserves a kick in the pants. Okay, well, I'll give them a kick in the pants. So uh, we just talked about Adelaide and Collingwood, Adelaide 2416, Collingwood Donuts a quarter time, the Bulldogs 3220, Eagles Donuts a quarter time, even the Saints um, game. Um, and uh, I haven't got the score there, but I know that 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 uh, with Geelong kicking nine points. Uh, but and Carlton, we got out today on three one nineteen against the Gold Coast with donuts. So yeah, just those slow starts are costing you teams that seem to be able to find the competitiveness at some point in the game. But if they start slowly. Not many teams are coming over the top of teams who've got out to those early first quarter leads. And, Coach Kiwi, it goes back to even games such as, as we saw a few weeks ago. I mean, Melbourne was lucky to, to, to be able to steal that one against um, the Lions. Otherwise, uh, they would have positions swapped on the ladder. And, and the Bulldogs would have actually been even on points with Collingwood had they not had their slow start against the Gold Coast Suns. And, in fact, if the Gold Coast Suns had held on in that game, they would have been eighth. But slow starts, killing teams. And you, you've got to wonder with some teams, where could they really be on the ladder? Oh, absolutely. And Giants, I think Giants for the rest of that game dominated. So um, I think they kicked something like six goals to two for the last three quarters. Uh, so it was just that first, you know, five that they let in, beat them. And they would have, you know, potentially next week had another win, could have been in contention for the top six, you know. Um, but they're, they're, it's their efficiency inside 50 – Giants are kicking 25% in that first quarter against Richmond, who are at 67. Anything, you know, that low 20, in the 20s is just, you, it's just, you got to shake your head and go, 
what on earth has gone wrong? And um, and it's not that they've got bad players in there, and it's not that they've got a bad midfielder. At that point in the game, they still had Elise Parker. So exactly, yeah, they lost they lost Elise Parker, but it, it didn't really. I mean, a bit like being without Britt Benici today. I mean, you, we often see teams still being able to really draw on their team strength when they lose, you know, one of their key players. But can I say, just back to tackles again in forward 50, the Tigers, 16 tackles in forward 50 versus the Giants. So that's another stat that's just really impacting, you know, if we can, if you can keep the ball inside forward 50 and, and get a score, it just makes such a difference. But yeah, I mean the Tigers. I thought we're just going to run all on top of them, but to their credit, the Giants, the Giants came back and showed a bit of something. And then West Coast, I think that is now eight games they've been scoreless in their first quarter. So you know they've got to their coaching panel everything over there. They've got to start to look at what are they doing pre-game. Or, you know, what is their system and their structure on the field that they just can't penetrate and get a goal or even a point on the board in that first quarter? But given the strength of WA football, surely the Eagles should be stronger. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There's, you know, WA and Victoria are the two powerhouses, aren't they, really? Well heading, he, well, heading into um, uh, what I call the pre-AFLW years, obviously Victoria was out in front. WA was just coming up, and uh, which obviously they beat Victoria in that game at Subiaco in 2015. Uh, but as we know, some of the top WA players were spread out amongst the other states. Um, but Queensland was the third team. And, and, and let's talk about one of those teams from Queensland, and that's the Brisbane Lions. And uh, the week that they've gone through, some of the players, including Emily Bates and Emma Zilks, which is, of course, Emma's now the uh, assistant coach there um, at the Lions, got flooded out during the week, and including the Lions players went round to their house and helped cleaned up afterwards. And after being flooded out, Maroochydore Oval, which was underwater last week, seemed to be fine. And then the AFL got nervous and went, oh, we're not worried, the weather, we don't know. And the game got moved. So as the Lions say, anytime, anywhere, they had to come down and play at Footscray Witten Oval, a kind of neutral venue, if you want to call it that. North Melbourne travelled <laughs> five minutes down the road. But in the end... Coach Tracy Kick, adversity seems to tie the Lions together and uh, they, they took care of business. Absolutely. And uh, if you recall my chat with Phoebe Monaghan, she quoted that they play anywhere, any day, anyhow. <laughs> Don't worry about that. So they're obviously, you know, it doesn't phase them. They're prepared to go and do whatever they need to do. Um, you know, again, just just dominance around the ground, the pressure that the Lions have, the pace in their forward as they bring the ball forward uh, between the Sparks and and uh, Ali Anderson and co. Just, um, you know, it's great to watch. Um, probably could have kicked a few more, I think, a um, little bit inaccurate at times. But, um, yeah, sorry, Emma Phillips, but uh, North, North were just <laughs> outdone, weren't they? I mean, it really kind of showed to me the... The, the top teams, you know, Frio, Melbourne and, and the Lions, um, you know, really, really seem to be just a, a, a touch, well, Frio not so much now. So, I mean, Crows 
Melbourne and the Lions. Um, and Frio seem to be losing momentum. And I think they're even at risk of sliding out of the out of the top six if if some things happen. No. Uh, the team at risk is Collingwood. Um, Collingwood. Yes, yeah. yes. Where they they have to beat Richmond. Um, if they lose to Richmond, then the Bulldogs, if they beat the Lions in Ballarat, can jump and steal their spot. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I just uh, I feel feel like yeah, those the top couple of teams are really starting to show a fair bit of dominance. It's going to be an enthralling uh, final series, I think, when we get there. But yeah, sorry, Emma Phillips, who couldn't make it because she's very sad after the Lions um, beat North Melbourne today. Um, Is she hiding? But- yeah, yeah, she's gone into hiding. She, she, she's being um, true North Melbourne, a marshmallow, being a bit soft. <laughs> she was here the week they beat uh, Magpies when Nat wasn't on, but she's hiding this week. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a strategy, Kiwi. It's a strategy. But um, no, it was a. You're on it, to you, it Emma. Was a, it was a display of dominance, and you know, um, you know, the midfield worked hard, and Emma Carney worked hard off the back line to try to get some momentum, but the Lions pressure. Phenomenal. So um, congratulations as I hand over the uh, virtual trophy to Tracy Kick, winner of the Phillips Kick Cup between uh, Tracy and Emma for the Brisbane Lions knocking off the uh, Kangaroos. And that means also the Lions are one game above the Kangaroos on the ladder as well, just to put a little bit of salt into that wound. Um, But unfortunately probably won't make a home final, Peter, looking very unlikely. Yes, they need a few things to happen their way, which we'll talk about uh, very shortly. Um, Coach Kiwi, you are actually at Icon Park to see the other Queensland team, the Gold Coast Suns against uh, Carlton. And we talk about these two teams like they're almost near the bottom of the ladder. In fact, they're actually eighth and ninth on the ladder as we speak. Um, And Carlton is a mathematical possibility of making the finals, but absolutely everything would have to go right for them. Uh, You were actually there on the day, not only just watching the game by yourself, you were there with a side that you've coached, the Fitzroy Stars. Yes, the Carton celebrated their Indigenous round this weekend and um, invited Fitzroy Stars, who are the in, well, very well-known, very famous Indigenous club here in Melbourne. And um, so a couple of our girls got to go on the field during the quarter-time breaks and kick for cash, which um, we we do need some cash. They didn't kick enough. We need about $3 million. We've got a women's centre being built, and they need about $3 million to fit it out. So they've got the first $5 million to build the structure. Um, we need a bit inside. So, yeah, so they earned some money for the goals that they kicked. Um, but, yeah, being Indigenous round, both teams wore the Indigenous jumpers, which ended up being rather similar on on the day, on the field. Um, for us up in the corporate box, I just had to look for the white shorts to tell the difference. I'm guessing something similar was what was seen on the TV um, because you had oh, – it's kind of like a royal blue versus – royal blue and white, really, versus a um, – a white and navy blue, I think, is, is kind of how the two jumpers were. Um, but, yeah, look, fantastic to involve um, the girls, you know, that I coach with them. You know, we they got to spend some time with some others up in, in the box there. But um, just to, to incorporate what the Indigenous spirit means around the fields, and, and we start to hear and see this year especially that some of the fields are being named with what the country is that they play on. So I think that's really good respect, you know, back to the traditional owners on the land and especially in the year that we celebrate um, the the, bag, the flag being freed 
Um, and if anyone watches the game, hopefully you'll see behind the goal, there was a really large, um, it's, it's the colours of the Indigenous flag, but a circle in the middle is the Carlton logo. So he's cleverly made it prior to the flag being freed. So he didn't want to break the, um, the rules around um, taking, you know, taking ownership of the flag. Copyright. But Yes, the copyright. Yes. Um, and, you know, a lovely, a lovely chap there that I spoke to um, who's also part of Carlton Pride. Um, so he's got a rainbow flag, very similar, he tells me. Um, but, yeah, look, it, it was challenging. You know, it was a beautiful day really in the end because uh, Melbourne's had quite a bit of rain, um, but the sun came out. So the field was really quite dry. So you expected a little bit more cleaner football. And, um, and I think because these two teams are so close and in the middle of the ladder, you weren't going to see the kind of football that the Lions or Brisbane – sorry, Brisbane or Demons play, where they sort of extend themselves and get out really wide for huge patches of the game. So all we saw was, you know, little glimpses of what they can do. And I think the pressure was greater at, at, the, at the ball carrier. So they probably didn't have the space to get out and get the ball flowing. Um, and, and that was a really close game until, you know, um, Darcy, you know, she – Darcy, sorry, they put an extra goal on the board and just really showed – they flare a little bit in that forward line. Um, Perko, when Perko lines up for goal, and even I was sitting with my players and we we're talking about, you know, she she missed a couple last week. She's not going to miss this. Perko's a great kick. And she is. We all know she's actually a great kick for goal. We thought after last week, and then she just hooked it. So, um, so you know, I'm a bit worried. She's had a very tough week through social medias. Um, she was down this morning watching um, Darabin play North, so I'm sure she saw a little bit of – uh, well, it was a very low-scoring game. I think it was three goals to one. So perhaps didn't quite get uh, to see some inspiration around the goal, shots on goal. But, um, but you know, we know she's a good goal kicker. Um, and so there's that kind of pressure on the field. And then obviously there was some something else going on. There was a bit of ruckus going on and she was involved. Maddie Presparkas was involved. And, you know, there come a couple of characters of the game and then they get the rest of their teammates involved and um, – it's it's just um, I guess you just sort of see that both teams were desperate to get their points, and I think neither team really dominated today. I think um, I, I know I'm worried about the Suns. We spoke about the Suns maybe was it three weeks ago. We talk about the Suns rising and how good they were going, and since then it's, it's like the clouds have come out. It's they're just not played that way that we saw them play and um and you know whether they just haven't got over that loss last week against um was it even last week it was during the week i think not even a whole week ago um a week and a half ago against the bulldogs that draw no the one against saints ah yes 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 when perko missed unfortunately yeah yeah so you know and whether maybe that's taken a little bit of toll i'm not sure um, but Carlton at home, certainly, they just did enough and ground their way to get the um, to get the win. I think the scoreboard probably showed that they had a bit more pressure with the ball, but I think the game was a little bit more evenly fought than the scoreboard shows. I think too. Um, I think the Gold Coast miss miss Tory Groves little when not when they're not there because um, very impactful, speedy player. Um, and I don't think any game plan should be built on one player, but that's a player that does have impact. I think the other thing is that, I, that I've got no doubt that Sarah Perkins 
had a lot going on in her head this week in terms of what she faced in terms of the media and social media, and I wasn't surprised at all when she missed that goal despite being a phenomenal goal kicker because I just think the amount of pressure that, that, that you know, it's perceived pressure again, it's like scoreboard pressure, it, it amounts to something, you know. It's the pressure of trying to kick a goal for cash or trying to kick a goal when you're trying to prove something or trying to kick a goal, you know. It, confidence in football is, you know, worth a million bucks. So uh, I think that that's, that's maybe something else. I thought when Carlton got the ball on the outside, they did it quite a bit, actually. And when they got running, they actually didn't look too bad. But, um, and, but the Gold Coast stuck in there, really. They had a few chances in the, in, towards the end of the third quarter in the last quarter to come back, but just couldn't quite do it. Mardi Gras happened on Saturday <laughs> night. Um, I know both of you watched intently. Um, what did you like about this year's Mardi Gras? I like that I was sitting on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> and not in the rain, yes. And um, I like that it didn't rain on the parade. <laughs> I know. Fred Nile didn't get his prayers answered again, so that's good, although it was raining here, so it just stayed away in Sydney. I actually looked at the radar and it was going around, so... You know, the forces of the, the rainbow team uh, kept that at bay. But um, what did I like? Uh, I I enjoyed the parade. I thought it was a bit of fun. Um, it, it had I enjoyed it being back on the ABC and um, some cool commentary and commentators. Uh, look, great to see people out having a good time. And to see the SCG, I think, had a lot more. I don't know what sort of numbers they had in there, but, of course, last year they were under COVID restrictions and so they didn't have the same sort of restrictions. So a good crowd. I think our fee was there. Correct, Kiwi? Our fee was indeed. So um, shout out to our really good mates, Amanda and Aria. They, Sophie is not able to ride a bike this year. She just doesn't quite have the upper body strength to um, to ride a bike. So one of them let her go, um, what we call bitch, is uh, when you ride pillion on the back of the bike. And, um, and another dear friend of mine who is a mum of a junior giant that I coached many years ago was in the crowd and actually filmed her going past and she was absolutely enjoying herself and – um, and that's, you know, her last hurrah, she actually starts her chemo this week. So she knew she was going out for a big weekend and, um, and it was just good to see good, you know, having good mates that could take her out and be part of that. And for the bikes to ride around, it's a little bit different because you're not riding on the, on the asphalt. So, um, there is a bit of slip as you get into the stadium. One of our mates dropped her bike last year. Um, so it has those little hazards. Um, it was good to see the Sydney Swans float in there and, um, I just I looked hard and I could not see any Sydney Swans current players, so I am expecting by Callum Nick- Sinclair was there. Callum Sinclair. Was? Oh, okay. I thought I saw yeah. one. I wasn't totally sure. I'm expecting next year, Sydney Swans, that you release your AFLW players to go on their own float. But not only that, I have pitched to a Meta Carton board member today and her partner, and I pitched to her and this guy I met who's part of Carton Pride that they take it to the AFOW, Nick Livingston, I hope you're listening, anyone else, when we talk about fixtures for next year, let's play Pride Round the weekend of Mardi Gras because it's a huge, massive international anniversary for the Mardi Gras Parade next World Pride in 2023. Let's have Carlton playing the Giants at Giant Stadium one o'clock in the afternoon, so all the fans, all the players can then go 
wash, put glitter on, get down to the SCG or hopefully it's back on Oxford Street, but put the Carlton and the Giants and the Swans players on a float and celebrate the diversity and all the people that we've got in our league because they are people, they are pride. And I just feel that sometimes pride is underdone. We do rainbow jumpers, but we don't do a whole lot in the community. So let's get them out there. Let's get them in front of everyone as they go either up Oxford Street and wave to all the little future AFLW players that will be amongst the crowd um, and supporters, mem- you know, members that could come along and, and join the clubs. But um, so – that was the seed I planted and, you know, there's enough rain going on. Let's hope that grows. And by next year, we, we're we celebrating World Pride with um, an AFW float. Here, here, Coach Kiwi. Here, here. <laughs> and I did mention that one footy team uh, taking part in Mardi Gras, <laughs> and I saw a few photos, is the Newtown Breakaways. They had their Pride jerseys on as they went through. And that leaves a perfect segue into what's happening next Sunday. The party continues for Newtown because they're hosting, Coach Kiwi, the Women's AFLX Challenge. Look, they are. Newtown Breakaways have um, absolutely led the charge for um, diversity and inclusion at their club in Sydney. Um, And so, yes, they're having their um, AFLX Carnival next week and they've um, got the fixtures out and we will post it up on our Facebook page. But there's, you know, teams from Bathurst playing. There's a couple of breakaways, Pennant Hills involved, uh, Western Magic, who wear absolutely adorable colours. I love their colours. UTS are involved. Randwick City Saints, who um, the older ones are. Uh, their masters are called the Sinners. Um, you got to love that. But, uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of teams involved and um, it does kick off um, 9.30 a.m. is the first game. So get out of bed, get warmed up. Um, the, the teams have to arrive at 8 a.m. But um, it's just, you know, it's just a fun day out. It's down at Henson Park. So you can take an esk. You can sit down there on the hill um, Saturday, uh, Sunday the 13th of March. Get along and support them. You can also take your dogs because it's not the AFLW. But don't take your dogs <laughs> to Henson Park when you're going to the AFLW. <laughs> Good tip. Tracy Kick, because you're back, we have someone who can do it properly. The tipping competition. We've come to the penultimate <laughs> round. Fee, Fee was looking and scrambling for her notes last week. I'm sure you've got them right in front of you. It's coming down. One week worth of tips to go. Who's leading at the business end? Well, um, look, it, it takes a lot of skill to report on the tipping. Um, but uh, I had a bit of a sneak peek earlier today and I saw someone called Coach Kiweed um, at fifth. I was like, <laughs> come out of nowhere. Anyway... Thank goodness. Those slow starts. Yeah, 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 but she's also had a slow finish. So um, <laughs> shout out. We've oh. got in the top five, three three wins are separating the top five. And uh, Joanna, Joe Tails, who barracks for Frio. So ooh, that's a surprise that she got win all right this week. Um, she's out in front in 51 with Mary Ann, the Bulldog supporter on 50. Shout out to our mate, Bacon Bishop. Uh, Kiwi and I both coached, uh, who's come from come from way behind, is now on 50 as well in third. And Jamie on your bacon, she's been stirring in that frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Ford, who's a Crows supporter on 49, and Jason Curry, 
He's also a Crow supporter on 48. So a uh, few of the few of the early people dropped right out of the thing. And uh, look, it's a bit like the AFLW. Anything could happen. Who who got most tips for this round, Trace? Oh, that's a, a bit of a, a trick question because I earlier photographed the top to... five, and now I need to actually <laughs> look back at that and do a quick review. So I was just some saying... tough games to tip on, and then perhaps uh, results not quite so good. Yeah, like I, I, I know I picked Suns over Carlton. A couple of people got quite a few got six. Um, All right, there's at least five. Six people on six. I can't see a seven, so uh, there's another six. Seven people got six Kiwi, so it's not as oh, difficult go. as you might have guessed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I didn't get Frio five. supporters then. I got five, by the way. But, um, <laughs> well done. Yeah. <laughs> Nat might have been up there this week if she's tipping Collywood, but. Um... Yeah, oh, no, well, Collingwood lost. Well, they didn't get up. So, yeah, no, you know, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Nat, see you later. Could have, would have, should have, Nat. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, no, look, uh, next round, because, of course, uh, we don't count tips in finals, surely not. We never have any no, part. No. So one more week for tips. So one more week. We've only got a couple of players there who can uh, hang in there and get the duty of... Uh, and win the prize. Someone please knock Marianne off. MG, I love you, but I can't cope with another year of you uh, bantering away being top of our oh, team. bacon. <laughs> yeah. Bacon is all right. I could put up bacon, but MG last year, <laughs> she wore my ear out. <laughs> love you, MG, but come on, someone knock her off. Let's look to the final round of the AFLW season and uh, we'll throw in a few notes about sides that uh, can make it. Sides that can't make the finals are, are kicking off on Friday night. Geelong versus the GWS Giants GMHBA Stadium where the Foo Fighters just played last weekend. Um, Collingwood versus Richmond on Saturday at Victoria Park. If the Pies win, then that's that. They're locked in and uh, that is your final six. If the Pies lose to Richmond, they are vulnerable to two teams, which we'll mention shortly. Uh, The Kangaroos will look to bounce back against the West Coast Eagles at uh, Arden Street Oval. Um, Then Melbourne versus Carlton at Casey Field, 7.10pm local time. We should mention that Carlton can still make it into the top six, but again, require Collingwood to lose, Gold Coast Suns to lose, and then they must absolutely smash Melbourne. Don't quite see that happening. Mm. Um, on the <laughs> Sunday, um, St Kilda coming off two wins in a row at RSCA Park host the Adelaide Crows. I'm sure they're going to be looking forward to that. Um, the Western Bulldogs versus the uh, Brisbane Lions. Uh, pardon me, I said earlier that Carlton need Gold Coast to lose. They actually need probably Brisbane, but they're probably, they need... The Brisbane Lions to beat the Bulldogs. If the Bulldogs beat the Lions in Ballarat and Collingwood lose, then the Bulldogs will jump into the top six. And then to round things out, uh, the last game to be played on Sunday, 5.10pm, 2.10pm WA time, is uh, Fremantle versus the Gold Coast Suns. So I guess uh, all eyes on Collingwood. Tracy Kick, Coach Kiwi, will the Pies hang on? Ooh. Oh, look, I think today it'd be heartening. Um, will they hang on? I don't know about that. Uh, let me let me let me think about that a little bit more, Kiwi. I'll, let's go with your insights. 
look, I think I think that um, Collingwood have got the game plan and they've got the players around that can play that game plan and beat Richmond. For you know, there's some good players amongst the Richmond team, but I just think the way that Collingwood play and their game style that they play. Um, is going to um, just be too strong or too hard for Richmond to stop. And and especially with the young players coming in, like I love the youngsters down at Richmond, you know, especially Millsy Yessa, like, you know, she gets stuck into them. Love Maddie Shevlin coming off the halfback line, who is a former pie. Um, and the Hosky and Twins, um, you know, there's some absolute phenomenal players there. I On just, Conti. Yeah, Monconti has gone a little quiet in the last couple of weeks, so perhaps it could be her one to step up. I'd, she'll, she'll have the speed in the inside centre, but I just think around that, I think um, Colin would have got the players that will stop her. And um, knowing Steve's style, I'm guessing he would probably bring in Ebony O'Day. Uh, not Ebony O'Day. Um, yes, it is Ebony O'Day. She played today. She played Elise today. O'Day is at Carlton. Yes, Ebony um, and do a tag roll on Conti. Um, yeah. It's kind of what he sort of does around that. So, um, yeah, I just think I think Collingwood are going to have the edge. I think that they probably will too, although they're going to really have to, like I think the return of Courtney Wakefield really helped the Tigers' structures up forward. And I, I think they, I think that Collingwood are going to have to play the sort of footy they played in, in the, the three quarters against Adelaide today. Um, to really fend them off. I think it'll be a great match. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's probably going to be probably the match of the round in the way that um, you want, like where the result is going to hang and and the closeness that you'd expect from that game, um, most likely. Uh, Frio surely would not lose to Suns, you would think, um, to bump them up the points. Will they have all their COVID players back though? If it's seven days, because that's a Sunday game. But they've got to be well as well as so, as well, well as allowed. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. Um, and suns are flying all the way that way after coming down here for this week. Um, but, yeah, the Giants the Giants have surely got to pull one out and, and finish would, the season on a You would think the Giants would beat the Cats. You would, I, I would pick them. Because the Cats never score very high scores, but then neither do the Giants. So actually I reckon it might be a bit of an arm wrestle, isn't it? Well, the cat, that is, you know, and this is the thing with the Cats this year, right? They've been known to not score a lot of goals. And then they started to come in and play really quality football and then start to show a little bit of, hey, we can get the ball down and we can score a goal. And they had a few games where they did score a bunch of goals. And then they had those, you know, really close losses. And the last couple of weeks and the game, nine points, that's nine shots on goal and not a single one through the big sticks is, I mean, as a coach, I'm speechless and I'm not even tied to the team. So I can only imagine what they're feeling and, you know, not just their forwards coach but their mids coach that's feeding the ball in and then the head coach and and then all the players around that. Like it's – it takes the stuffing out of you. If you're going to have that many um, inside 50s and then that number of shots on goal and not be able to convert one in in a game that could have, you know, just potentially changed it is... Um, oh, it could have totally changed it. I think if the if um, Geelong can shut down Cora Staunton and just keep stop the feed from her because 
really, I mean, she's the only reason the Giants have kicked any goals really very much. I mean, this really, I mean, Nick Bars made a bit of a contribution. And as I said, it was good to see Priv show a bit of form last week. But they're still not kicking a lot of goals, the Giants. And um, and I, no. yeah. I, they, they tend to be searching nice. for Cora. And even though, like, Nick is a great mark and she's got a beautiful kick, Privatelli is a superb aerial marking player. And she's got 170 centimetres, absolutely. Um, you know, it's great to have Beeson back in the team, but they they tend to just look up and just look for where Cora is. And sometimes it works, but most times it's not working. And, you know, and that's where I just think if if now you stay, the opposition are going to look at this and go, right, we really only have to stop Cora getting through because you just got to hold that line and stop her. And I think she showed in the weekend, late in the game, they put the ball through. It was Cora against two defenders. One of them had that bit of speed, but Cora used her body on her. She didn't have the speed, but she used her body and got the ball, kept it on her outside side because she can kick off either foot and that kicked the goal through. And and that is just the absolute power. And I get that this is why, you know, they're going to look for her as a forward. Um, but, you know, if she takes the key defender, Privatelli has just got as much quality, you know, Nick Barr is proving that she can get up there and kick some goals. And, um, you know, I just think there's some other options. And, and you know, maybe this is the time um, for the Giants players to start looking amongst them. And, you know, we've seen Jess Doyle get up there and she's kicked some this season. And, um, you know, I think I think this is what's going to happen is is if, Ge- if Geelong go and tag on Cora, Giants need to just look a little bit wide. But surely – Surely they will kick more goals than cats. Surely. It's a beautiful field. I've kicked two on it, Giants. Give me a call. I'll tell you how to do it. I've kicked two goals in well, the field in the game, so give me a call. <laughs> they both got something to prove because if, if I'm not wrong, if the Giants, if Geelong beat the Giants, Geelong will actually jump above them on the ladder, which means the Giants will have their worst ever finish in the history of the AFLW. And, in fact, I think 11th might even be their worst ever finish now, but they could finish 12th because Geelong have got better percentage. So didn't we, if Geelong... Didn't Giants Geelong get, get boon one year? Well, maybe in the first year. Yeah, but less teams but, in the competition. Yeah, only eight okay. teams. But still yeah. bottom of the ladder is bottom of the ladder. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so and, I, think, and, I think they've got a lot to prove. I reckon that will actually be a good game. And may I point out as well that uh, we need to spare a thought for some of the weaker teams down the uh, bottom end of the ladder who could all be on the end of a hiding this weekend because percentage actually matters in the top six. And let me explain. Uh, The Adelaide Crows, we said, are playing St Kilda and Melbourne is playing Carlton. Both of them, Adelaide and Melbourne, are locked on 32 points each. Only 4.4% now separates them. And remember, even though both of these sides are pretty much on track should they win to host um, the finals in the second week, the top team has the right to host the grand final. So that is a big carrot this weekend for both Adelaide and Melbourne. And then there's a bit of play going on in fourth and fifth spot. Uh, The Kangaroos playing the Eagles and Fremantle playing the Suns. Both the Kangaroos and Fremantle are locked on uh, 24 points each with uh, under three percentage points separating them. The side that finishes fourth will get a home final. The side 
that finishes fifth will have to travel interstate. And if if the, the results go as, as they do, essentially the Kangaroos and Fremantle will host each other. It's just who's going to have hosting rights. Mm, the plot thickens. Hey, I'm um, just talking about big scores. The current stats of the teams that have lost by 40-plus points are West Coast by seven, seven times they've lost by 40-plus. Gold Coast have done it six times. St Kilda five times. And Geelong four times. Do you know what they've all, all got in common? They're our last four teams that joined AFRW, right? So is there an imbalance in the players or the way that they've made their list compared to the ones that came in first? And is that something for the next four teams coming in to be very wise about so that they become competitive rather than, um, what are we down, three years now? Four years? Four years with them in? That they're still down, um, down the bottom and getting some floggings. Well, I mean, I think that the, the interesting thing is that not all the expansion teams, nearly all the expansion teams, are in the bottom. Well, they're all in the bottom half of the ladder, but um, not all the expansion teams are on. Uh, they're not the last four teams, although. They're almost last four teams. So, <laughs> in the last five. Uh, I think teams. we could talk a lot about expansion, um, Kiwi, but uh, that's an interesting stat. And you know, is it is it about you know, do they get enough support to get their lists going? I guess we've talked about that in another pod. Because mm, we don't know the next lot of rules around how many you can take from other teams and, and stuff to build your list quite yet. Plus, there's some little dirty rumours circulating around the world that um, perhaps the next season may be just a few months down the road. So Ooh. the list builds need to be uh, rather quick and rather swift. And, um, yeah, I think, I think what are we up to? Round 10, three weeks of finals, four weeks' time. Watch your social media play, pages. I reckon there's going to be a heap of announcements coming out, including coaches. Without a doubt, Port and Essendon have got to know who their coaches are already and already pre-talking to players that must be involved in AFLW because nothing's been announced from those teams, right? So they must be waiting till the end of AFLW season, then boom, they're going to hit everybody with, we've got this, we've got this coach, this player, blah, 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 blah. So then is that Erin Phillips going across the port? Are they keeping their lips sealed so she can play with Crows, not upset, anything going on there, win another premiership and then go to Adelaide? I reckon there'll be a few bit of movement and I reckon that that won't be the only, you know, high-profile move. So I think it'll be be entertaining. Mm, It's going to be a few. It's going to be an interesting – that week, I reckon the first week's going to be rather interesting. On that note, it is time to wrap things up. Coach Kiwi and Tracy Kick, thank you both for your attendance uh, this week. And once again, congratulations, uh, Tracy Kick, on winning the, winning the Phillips Kick Cup. Thank you so much, Peter, for the encouragement. Yeah. Woo. Woo. 
This has been round nine of the Cone Hangar for AFLW Season 6. We'll be coming to you every week on 2SER 107.3 FM. Be sure to catch us on socials. We are at Code Hanger Footy on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to catch the full version of this show in our podcast with extra content in the fifth quarter wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, for the best harbour views in women's footy, tune into the Code Hanger.